Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the PS Football Podcast. My name's Sam Steen and this week the gang's all here as Peter, Carl, Scott and Danny join me. Now, a word of warning. Cover the kids' ears and send your granny out of the room because this is a particularly sweary, rant-filled pod as Carl and Scott vent about Spurs and West Ham. We'll also cover all the other big games from the Premier League, the latest transfer news, there's a quiz and a whole lot more including, of course, Prick of the Week. Let's get on with the show. All right, well, let's get going. Uh, City, they left it late, Peter, but credit to Bournemouth. City got away with it. Did they get out of jail? Are things going well for them or was it, was it luck? Uh, the first, I thought in the first half, the first 20 minutes, say, um, Bournemouth were superb. They really pinned City back and stopped them playing football. And they deservedly went ahead with an absolute wonder strike by Charlie Daniels. Like, I've watched that over and over again. In off the bar as well, they always look better. But then probably the last 20 minutes of, of the second half after City scored, it, it was like the Alamo. Bournemouth were just hanging on, you know. And you really thought City will come out in the second half and blow them away. But to be fair to Bournemouth and to Eddie Howe, who, who's the kind of coach who does like passing, attacking football, he knew what kind of team he was up against. And he, he adapted and they played defensively, but they did a very good job, I thought, of containing City. City are always going to create chances with Silva, De Bruyne, etc. in their team. But they, they really limited them. And I thought Josh King was phenomenal. Breaking forward, City just had to take him down so many times. And I think they were lucky to get away with it at the end because Bournemouth hit the bar and they had a couple of chances as well. Begovic didn't have to make too many saves, in fairness. But yeah, they're the kind of results that... When you get them 2-1s, you score it right in, what was it, the 96th minute or something. They're the kind of ones, you know, as a Man United fan, I'm looking at and going, because I was counting, even though it's early in the season, I was counting on them dropping two points. And you kind of look at it and go, yeah, they, they could be the three points that could be very, very important come the end of the season. So I don't think City, they still haven't clicked into first gear, but yeah, they, they got the result and that's all they can ask for, really. Carl, what about Bournemouth? As Peter said, they played really well in the first half and had chances later on. Uh, after a shaky start, they seem to be improving a little bit. Yeah, it looks like they're getting better slightly with it as each game goes, doesn't it? But um, you still got to worry about the fact that there's no points on the board there. Um, well, we don't know with Bournemouth. Like I say, I still think they're going to struggle. You know, again, we see these teams sometimes don't we manage to raise their game when the big boys come to town. They've got enough going forward, and you kind of think that's got to click at some point with the foe king and players like that. So maybe this kind of result will give them a little boost and they can start getting some results now. Peter, you wrote a piece on PS Football on the website uh, the other day about uh, Aguero and how his days might be numbered. But if they're struggling to score, they have all this possession. Surely having someone like him up front, a predatory finisher, is going to be exactly what they need. Yeah, it's a Guardiola thing. I think it was kind of known even before he came to England that he just doesn't fancy out-and-out number nines. He likes multifunctional forwards. His first, the first thing he did at Barcelona was get rid of Eto and move David Villa into the false nine role, which is now everybody knows, but that was kind of the first time that it was, that it was seen. Um, when he went to Bayern... He didn't like Lewandowski. Lewandowski, he had Lewandowski on the bench. He was playing Muller as a false nine. And Lewandowski just scored so many goals. I don't know if you remember, he came on as a sub one day and scored five goals. So he just couldn't ignore him anymore. But it, his face just doesn't seem to fit with Guardiola. He, do, he doesn't like a striker who just scores goals. Sergio Aguero has the best ever strike rate in Premier League history. 
He's 123 goals in 184 games. Now, most, most managers have him at first name on the team sheet, but for Guardiola, he wants his front man to, to press. He wants his front man to be interchangeable with the other forwards. And he wants, yeah, he wants more than just goals, basically. I think the only other manager in the league who's probably a bit like that is probably Jurgen Klopp, uh, the way he sets Firmino up in there. But listen, for me, I'm a bit old school. I take Aguero every day of the week. That's why I don't mind Lukaku not being the best all-round finisher at United. Like you said, as Liverpool often struggle against teams that, that just defend deep, I think sometimes then, yeah, you do need that instinctive finisher in around the box because one of these number false nine guys, they'll always try and take the best option in around the box, whereas the, the Predator, he won't take the best option. He'll just shoot. And that comes off quite a lot. So I think... He'll, he'll go next summer if Guardiola stays on. I can't see um, Aguero being around much longer. And I think the only reason he's still there is because he's such a legend at the club and it was difficult for Guardiola to move him on. But I don't think Guardiola fancies him at all. It's that sort of stubbornness that could cost him his job at the end of the day, simply because you've got a predatory striker whose main aim has always been to score goals. You can't ignore that and you can't take, you can't sort of rip that out of their game. And in doing so... That's going to be the difference between them winning and losing leagues because he's trying to shoe them into, uh, what well, I wouldn't say 4 4 2, but they've got two strikers up front with Jesus and it just doesn't seem to work for them. Fair play, they, they won their game. You could say that's a sign of a good team when they can win games when they haven't really been at their best, but trying to shoe all the system, that doesn't work. The same with the keeper he did it the season before. That's going to cost them massively probably at the end. I reckon uh, Guardiola, he's trying to make it a bit too complicated. He spent all this money on uh, on fullbacks, and they played Everton at home, and they played with wingbacks, and he played Sané, who I really like, and I think I, I said in one of the first shows that uh, I thought he was going to have a bumper season this season. And he plays him as a wingback. Now, last season, when they were really flying, I think they had Jesus up front with sheer, sheer pace of um, Sané and Sterling either side. And that's when they were at their best this season. And then he decides to play Sané as a wing-back who foul throws it a couple of times. He's obviously not used to the defensive part of it. He's obviously not used to taking a fucking throw in. And I think he's he tries to be too clever sometimes. It's all right being clever when you're playing Alaves away or you're playing Malaga at home or you're playing Freiburg or Schalke or, or these sorts of teams. You can't be that clever in the Premiership. You have to try and get your 11 best players out in the pitch in, in your best system. And if you try and be too clever, you'll get undone. There's, there's managers like Tony Pulis and Sam Allardyce is not in the Premiership anymore. There's managers like that, though, who are ready and waiting for managers like Guardiola to come in and try and be too clever. And they get undone. And he was unlucky not to be undone against Bournemouth the other day. They got undone against Everton. Now they were they were they had plenty of the ball against Everton and they played okay, and they were probably happy enough to get a point out of it. But I just think he needs to just keep it simple. They've got the best squad, they've the best players in the Premiership, the best attacking players in the Premiership. Anyway, he should just let them go out there and play. Let his goal scorer just give him just give him a day off and say, listen. You don't have to. You don't have to make runs to the left, to the right, do all these sorts of channel runs. You just stick the ball in the net for me once a week. You're worth your weight in gold. And get other people. I think they're really lacking a destroyer in centre midfield and someone that can dictate. I know that. I know they have a couple of guys that can dictate the pace of a game, but they. I think they need a little bit of steel in in there. Uh, Fernandinho doesn't do it for me. Someone like a Roy Keane, uh, dare I say it, or a, or a Kante again. So someone like that, they can just slow it down when they need to. 
they have everything they need going forward. They have absolutely everything. But I think the manager is actually holding them back because with that squad, they should win the league quite easily. But I think he'll be the reason they don't win it. Against Everton, he tried with the 3-5-2. He tried to get Aguero and um, Jesus into the team. And, and it just didn't look right. Now, last season, when Danny was talking about when they played with Blister and Pace, that's when they dropped Aguero as well. Um, and he played Jay- Jesus through the centre. And that was when they looked pretty much unstoppable until Jesus got injured last year. But just an interesting stat I saw during the week, which kind of goes in Guardiola's favour a bit, is that Jesus has six assists in 13 Premier League games. That's more than Aguero has in three seasons. So you can see what he's looking for in a way. But at the same time, I agree with Danny because supposedly Guardiola changes formation four to five times a half. Now, that's just ridiculous. That's a lot for players to be trying to get through their heads. That, that's overcomplicating things. And, and I would say he's a very difficult manager to play for. I work, I work with a German guy and he said that, you know, at Bayern, the, the players were pretty happy to see the back of him because it was, ju- it was just so intense all the time. He got away with it at Barca because he was a club legend, but he looks like he's hard work, even, even in his interviews and even the way he carries on the, on the sideline. I don't think he's winning too many friends, to be honest. I think you're right. I, I, I thought before he came to the Premiership, you know, because you only see little bits here and then, and you see it was team plays from Barcelona, you think, oh, this guy's cool. You think he's cool as fuck, nearly. You know, you actually, I thought he was a dude. Wears great clothes, though. Great yeah, dress. all that sort of stuff. 97 zips on his jacket and all that, you know. And he you likes think, a bit of Stone Island, doesn't he? You think he's one of the boys that's knocking about us. Yeah, you know, and then you hear him talking and you see him being interviewed and you're going, ah, this lad's a fucking dickhead. You know, he's the sort of <laughs> lad you want to give a slap to. No, he's, uh, I actually thought he was... I thought he was as cool as they come and then when you hear him and the way he pawns off questions and every second result is the proudest moment of his life and stuff like that you're going fuck off will you I'm not having it am I the only one that thought he was a prick before and wanted to fail I've got nothing against Man City nothing at all I want him to fail I want all I want all of rivals to fail obviously but um, I didn't know he was a prick beforehand so uh, so kudos for that good spot uh, we'll let you off with calling them rivals there, considering you haven't won a title in your lifetime. But uh, let's go to... I'm 36, mate. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> We've won more in my lifetime than they've won. Fair, fair. Right, well, let's go to, uh, let's go to Liverpool then, because uh, obviously they had a fantastic result. Of the uh, why bother? Why bother? <laughs> let's, let's, go, let's go to Swansea next. <laughs> Come on, let's go to Liverpool. Were they... Were they really good or were Arsenal's really shit? I was working for us, so I couldn't get to see it, but I had it recorded and the missus thought we were staying in for uh, DVD night or Netflix night. But uh, after the result, I said, no, no way, Pat. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching the whole lot of it. Um, the, the, the before, the during and the after chat and everything. And uh, when I finished it, I sat down and had a pint after work and everyone was like, Geez, Arsenal were four today, and I said that's fucking typical. Everyone just giving Arsenal, <laughs> everyone, everyone just telling us Arsenal were poor. You know what about the compliments? Because I'd seen the goals throughout the night and or the throughout the day and work. But when I got home, what struck me was Liverpool were good. They were very good, but Jesus Christ, Arsenal made them look. Arsenal made them look like Barcelona in, in their pomp. They really. Arsenal didn't put up any fight whatsoever. I thought they were absolutely shocking. And there was there was a balance of, yeah, Liverpool are really good. But Arsenal, that's one of the worst Arsenal performances I've ever seen. 
I, I sometimes think Klopp is a bit of a one-trick pony. He's only got one way of playing. But I think he uh, he actually invited Arsenal onto him. Liverpool against the big teams, they've done really well with the with the high press and trying to nick the ball up. Uh, one of the, the front three trying to nick it off the centre-backs and full-backs. But I think this time he realised how weak Arsenal would be in the centre of the park going back towards their own goal. And he invited Arsenal on and it played into Liverpool's hands like a dream. Because of the added pace they have now, Liverpool, just last year, they only had the pace of Mane to worry about. They will frighten teams. If people, if, if Liverpool are allowed to play on the counter-attack, uh, they will worry most teams they play against. Liverpool have to change tact a bit this season. They don't want the ball in half the games they play. I know that sounds a bit strange. Who doesn't want the ball? But Liverpool are at their most dangerous when they're defending sometimes. And I don't know if anyone agrees with that. You mean so you can hit them on the break and just match yeah, the opposition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the pace. But everyone worries about Liverpool against uh, the teams that are sitting deep and all that. Well, I, I have an idea for Liverpool. Uh, if you get the tip off, if you've, if you've won the toss and you decide to tip off, kick the ball back to them and retreat. <laughs> you know, and, and it'll be like a bit of a. Has anyone seen the Monty Python sketch? All the philosophers and all that sort of stuff. And it's Heraclides, and no one's touching the ball and all that. And then Eureka, uh, someone has an idea, and he just kicks the ball and he puts it in the back of the net. Liverpool need to. Liverpool need to do a little bit of that, I think, and just invite teams back because there's no point having space if you've only got four yards to run into. Leicester won the league with pace over the top. If Liverpool have pace and space. They're a completely different animal. I thought Arsenal played into their hands beautifully. Peter, they didn't seem to miss Coutinho too much with uh, Manny playing as well as he did. Are Barca going for the wrong player, do you think? I think for a a like-for-like replacement to go into Neymar's position on the left-hand side of midfield, I don't know of many better than Manny, to be honest with you. I think I said it last week. There's lots of players out there with, with with... Blister and pace, Theo Walcotts and people like that. You need the intelligence of your movements um, and you, you need that composure in front of goal. And he has that in spades. I'm actually, I'm good at that United didn't get him because get him, they were heavily linked during the, the Louis van Gaal era. And he surprised me. I didn't think, I didn't recognise him as being quite as good as he is when he was at Southampton. I suppose you see him more. He's more in the spotlight now at Liverpool. But yeah, he's he's frightening full flow, and he just he, at the moment he's in that he's in that good of form. He doesn't seem to to need much of a chance, and and it's in the back of the net. He's absolutely top class, and as Danny said, with Salah on the other side, um, it could be scary at times, you know. But I, I would also say that I've seen a comedy myself called Dejan, the Life and Times of Dejan and Auburn. So if I was Liverpool, I wouldn't say let's just go out to defend because. That might end too well for them either. So um, no, but you know what I, you know what I mean there. I do. And, uh, I know. I know what you mean. Uh, but you know that they, they, they still, to be fair, Arsenal were woeful. I thought it was Arsenal's worst performance I'd ever seen. But then I googled Wenger's worst defeats and eight two against Man United. Oh, they were worse. They were worse. They were worse. Yeah, I, I, yeah. There's obviously still problems at the back. Like I did match ratings on or player ratings, and I gave Carrius a four because he got caught. He nearly. They were very generous. I know he got blocked down. What was it? Three times, which is just criminal at that level. Once maybe because he's a bit rusty, but it just shows that there's still big problems going. Well, did you hear why? Did you hear why um, Mignolet was supposedly left out? No. 
uh, Klopp came out in a very German way. He doesn't really get, um, but like he was saying, well, the boys have been spraying in his face for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit like um, what the Joey Barton name? one, <laughs> Philip Zenderos, yeah. yeah. Now, you, and you know when you know you when you're playing against Joey Barton, he's going to come. He's going to come all over your face. You know, going, oh. And the two, the two other guys are breaking their bollocks, laughing. You're going, all right, all right, Philip, let's cut you off there. But now, supposedly he was up late. Uh, by all accounts, um, how the fuck Klopp knows he was up late? But that's supposedly why he was left out, and he's going to be back in as our number one. Jack Butland wouldn't be a bad shout for me at the moment. Uh, let's go on to United then, because uh, well, they continue to look strong. Not four this time, but against probably stronger opposition than they faced so far, Scott. Man United, uh, they look the business at the minute. But as you just said, they're not playing anyone that you go. It's a massive challenge at the moment. They just look good. They look good when they face. Chelsea, I think, is going to be a big, big test. Maybe Man City and a Liverpool team who uh, they should be picking up speeding tickets the way they're passing defenders. They just look superb. So they may not going to be OK, but until they're tested, you don't really know. Leicester, you could say they've lost a couple of games, but they don't look too bad either. And they'll feel confident that they can sort their season out. But as far as Manchester United are concerned, um, it was a case of let's go out there, do a job. They scored a couple of goals, lead them to the next game. I think that what Mourinho's got in the mindset is they're taking it a game at a time and they're going to see how they can then push the opposition. Still my tip probably to win the league, without a doubt. Carl, not a huge amount to say about Leicester. I think they, they worked very hard but didn't really offer a huge amount going forward. Yeah, Leicester, I, Leicester, you know, as you say, they didn't really offer too much um, throughout the whole game. But there were certain points of that game where they were nearly, they nearly caught United on the break a couple of times. And if the right ball had gone to Mares, um, he'd got himself in some really good, some good areas and some good space free. But he just didn't have the right finish or the, the players weren't in the box at the right time. But there was a couple of points there where they could have caught United um, and nicked a goal. But... I think in overall, United were just too, too strong. But Leicester, they, they've got that look about them. They haven't got that title-winning side look, but they, they've they got that look where you think they'll be reasonably safe for a top-10 finish this year. Leicester will be fine. I don't think they've got too much to worry about. They've got the Arsenal game. They look really good. Well, I say really good. Maguire particularly looked really good. They've got enough about them. They're going to up in mid-table. They've got enough, they've got enough about them if they keep Mares and Vardy. The problem yeah, comes, yeah, yeah. And, and drink water. If they lose those three before the end of this window, then, you know, the question questions will be there. Well, I think Mares will, def- will, will more than likely go. I'd be amazed. I'd take them at United, to be honest with you, because the left-hand side looks pretty good. So I, I'd have them there to compete with Madder for that, that right-hand position, the inverted winger with left-footer coming in off the right. Drink water. Drink water is, is nothing special as far as I'm concerned. There was, you know, he is, he is with Kante beside him. He is with Kante beside him, and plus, he he was getting a lot of credit for playing through balls to Jamie Vardy. But I mean, when there's a lad as quick as as Jamie Vardy up front, doesn't need to be a good pass to end up looking like a good pass. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm. But um, that's what they did. They played percentage football, uh, Leicester that year. They won it. They, the, every ball wasn't going to feet. They were just putting it in. If they if they put seven or eight balls over the top, and they get onto one or two of them. Um, you know, there was a goal, and and that makes a big difference. I know it wasn't, it wasn't the sort of Barcelona football that we'd like to see winning the league, but it was percentage football, and it worked quite well for them. Allardyce was famed for that, putting the ball in certain areas, but you yeah. have to have the players to do it. Leicester yeah. had the players to do it, and that's why they won the league. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. 
Pogmall or something's called positions of, of maximum opportunity. Uh, that's what Allardyce plays. But but, but Vardy, Vardy, I think, will stay, lads. I think he's better off staying because he's playing in a team that's set up to play to his strengths. I don't think he'd do well at a bigger club that doesn't play on the break. I don't think he has the technique to be a kind of receiving the ball into feet in and around the box. He be a fox in the box, though, at any team. I, I, I think he's a good enough finisher. Not necessarily a starter uh, every week for some of the bigger teams. But I do think uh, I do think he's ruthless enough when he goes. Now I know he's a bit of a he's a bit streaky, but when he goes on a streak, he's the sort of guy that'll get you nine or ten goals in nine or ten games. He's he's a tidy finisher. He doesn't have that all-round game probably with his back towards goal and stuff like that. That some of the bigger teams might be looking for. Yeah, now one just one last thing about Le- Leicester. I think um, Harry Maguire could end up being the sign of the season. That boy looks unbelievable. He, do, he doesn't really look like a footballer. He doesn't have the build of a footballer. Big head in him. Is that a big square yeah, head in him? Brilliant, like a rugby in player, air, so. brilliant in the air. Brilliant defensively. And he's some man. His passing is unbelievable. He, he strides out with the ball with a plumb. Like he, he's a quality player. And you know, of all the young English centre halves that that are going are quoted as going for more money than him, he's the best at a lot of them, as far as I can see. Like he got called up. Michael Keane went for 25, 30 million. I read a good article during the week, and I think we touched on it a few a few weeks ago when we were talking about young players. The reason they were saying basically the reason Michael Keane has got more credit, the reason he got into the England team younger, and the reason he went for a higher fee than Maguire is because he has X Man United beside his name. Yeah. yeah. Peter, any more on uh, on Rashford and Martial? Do you want to? Yeah, I think you had a point there, did he? United look like one of the few clubs that might be closed for business almost now. You look at all the other big boys, Chelsea, Spurs, Man City, all looking to bring in players. Everton looking to bring in players. Arsenal are probably going to lose players. Potentially bring bring Sterling in and pay money for with, in a San, Sanchez on swap later. deal, yeah. which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. What about Bow, Peter? Bow got booed off by Real Madrid fans this weekend, didn't he, when he came off? Um, and you, you get the feeling there might be some unrest there now. Surely, if United could get Bow on their left as well this year, then... Uh, if you're, if then, you're not getting booed off at Madrid, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into the Bale thing. Uh, maybe next year, I don't know. But I was just looking at it this weekend, and the only rumoured deal maybe United might still do is go back in for Perisic, who's a left, midf- uh, left winger. And I think they're, they're, they're more than covered there. Rashford and uh, Martial are both in sensational form at the moment. But like I said kind of a few minutes ago, if they are going to strengthen, I would like to see them strengthen maybe on the other side. And I, I take Mares all day long as a right winger. Well, let's get on to Spurs then. It's, I think, time for our first rant of the evening. Uh, Carl, do you want to... Yeah, I'm uh, going for a cigarette. Let's, uh, <laughs> we'll all just sit back, relax. You do your thing, Carl. If this podcast had been Sunday, you wouldn't have been able to air it, to be honest. As I was leaving Wembley, the air was as blue as it can come. The game itself, it was nothing special. Again, it was a typical Spurs game that we're seeing at the moment. Lots of possession. Nothing really dangerous, to be honest. Too dangerous. Pace, we have got this. We are one of the slowest teams I think I've seen in Premier League history. We have zero pace at all. It's becoming really evident at Wembley with those big open spaces. We, you know, obviously where we had Walker herring down one side and Rose down the other. When those two are not playing, Davies and Trippier just can't do what they used 
to do and stretch teams. Um, but the game itself, yeah, again, you know, we're, we're just too slow in everything we do. You know, the ball hits the centre in midfield with Dembele or Ericsson. They slow it down and want two or three touches and go nowhere with it. Kane doesn't have the pace. So it was a typical, it was the same sort of performance as Chelsea, really. You know, Chelsea sat back, Burnley sat back. We struggled to break them down. And the Burnley goal was coming. You could see it coming at the last 20 minutes of that game. I think they potentially got that through ball around the back of us about four times before the goal, and we just managed to clear it. Larissa had to come out and make a last-ditch effort. But the whole season just sums up Spurs over the last few years with Levy. You know, the guy just... People say he's a great businessman, and he may be, but the guy just fucking can't do what he needs to as a chairman for a club to push you on. This year was so key to get the signings right. And yet again, under Levy, it's been a complete and utter shambles. Uh, And it's costing us. Yet again, at the start of a season, we're dropping points that will eventually cost us, not maybe not in the title race this year, but in the top four race. Uh, And you can't see the signing. I mean, today they're talking about, you know, bringing Origi in on loan from Liverpool. I mean, fuck me. If that's the ambition (laughs) of signings that you got then you may as well just fucking lock Wembley up and go home because what, what a shambles that is. You know, we'll get Barkley in, he'll be out for five months and the way Spurs injury crisis goes, that'll be fucking a year before we see him again. Yeah, and they'll have spunked 25 million. It, it's just an utter shambles down there each summer with Levy in charge. And there's lots of people who like him. There's lots of people who defend him. There's lots of people who seem... I think that a shiny new ground and a great training complex will attract top players. Well, it hasn't fucking attracted anyone so far to the club that you makes you go, oh, this is special. And I'm just really struggling to see us break top four the way they're playing at the moment. Obviously, Kane's had his usual dry spell in August. You know, maybe some prick should show him the calendar and put it to September before he realises what's going on. And he might fucking dribble over August and find his scoring boots. But... Yeah, it was it was depressing coming out of there. But at least we didn't have a fucking drama going off this week, which really would have sent us over the edge. So yeah, there's a there's a two things that I was that I've been reading that may potentially cause Spurs at Wembley. I don't know if, what you think about these, Carl. But the first one is, like you said about the lack of pace. Uh, the argument is that Spurs pressing game worked so well at White Hart Lane because it was such a tight pitch. And when they go on to a bigger pitch, they won't be able to, to press teams as well as they did just because there's more space. Um, and the second point is, Jamie Carragher made this point uh, on Super Sunday, which I thought was very, uh, which was actually a smart way of looking at things. Clubs like Burnley are going to get a rise out of going to get Wembley because a lot of them players mightn't ever get a chance to play there again. Yeah, I would agree with both of those points. And and we take it for like the cup games now, like the Caribou, whatever fucking cup it's called now, you know, the Moose Cup or whatever. We've got Derby or Bristol, I think, or Barnsley at home in that. Now, again, as you say, that will be their cup final. When they come to Wembley, it will be their cup final. Biggest game in most of those players' careers, and they will raise it. But the problems come in the last two games is that we just we can't attack teams with the sort of pace, like Liverpool would, where suddenly you've got someone going with the ball who scares defenders and turns the team quickly. We have Ericsson's gone missing the last two home games. 
then Bella has to take about 50 fucking touches before he does anything. He's, yeah, you can't get him off the ball, but he don't fucking give the ball either at times. You know, knock the bloody ball through or have a pop. But no, I'll dribble back. I'll turn around. I'll take this geezer on again. And, and you know, there's just no pace. And sometimes you just have to have that pace where someone gets it, turns and goes at a fullback, like Mane would, where suddenly now you're def- Defenders going, oh, crap, we're in trouble here. They've got a couple of guys who are hitting us with pace. You know, Kane tried a couple of dribbles at one point where, again, you know, he doesn't have the pace. And and the one thing that really killed us on Sunday, again, was Gamecraft. We spoke about it against Chelsea. They've tried to play, go on the break when they've just got level. And again, Sunday, we're one up. It's two minutes ago. The ball goes up to Kane. He tries, rather than going to the corner, tries to play a fucking ball into Harry Winks. Again, a fucking snow. He don't catch it. And Burnley break and score. Go to the fucking corner. How many times do these players need to learn a bit of game craft, which is it's one up, it's two minutes ago, into the corner, get the throw in, piss about, win the game. No, that's trying to go for the second when there's no need. But... I don't think Wembley wouldn't have been an issue on Sunday if we just had some better players. And unfortunately, it's every time Spurs get to this certain point where they're on the bridge of something special, the man in charge of the checkbook wants to do it on the fucking cheap. If we sign a Rigi, I'm done. If you do sign a Rigi, he's a, he's a massive improvement on Janssen for starters. Um, Don't get me wrong. That that may be the only shining light in that. No one can be as fucking bad as Jens. So. <laughs> no, Arigi's not a bad player. But um, I have another little spin on it. I don't know if, if you might agree. I think it's the third season in a row now. Tottenham have started slowly. Uh, Pochettino he works them very very hard in pre-season, um, and I know Klopp does as well. But there might be a case where Tottenham have grown into seasons over the last the last three seasons, and I, I think they'll do, I think they'll do the same again this year. I think may, maybe you know it takes a bit of time for the muscles to get going and for that sort of and pre-season fatigue to kind of turn into real energy. They might just have slightly heavy legs at at the moment, getting used to the playing at Wembley week in week out. Uh, I I think to be fine, and I, and I wouldn't I don't think Origi. I was saying it to a mate of mine who's a Newcastle fan. He wouldn't be the worst shout as a backup for you because Origi's not great at anything, but he's pretty good at everything. And I think he, as a ba- I think as a backup because Harry Kane will inevitably get a little four week injury somewhere along the line, and he's definitely a big improvement on Janssen. Let, let's move on to Palace and Swansea. Anyone? Uh, well, Swansea have improved. Palace still look terrible. Jabour is under pressure. Who wants to take on this? I said earlier in the season, I think Palace will will struggle. And I can't figure out why they're struggling because they've got a really good squad of players. It can't just be down to um, De Boer that uh, their slumps come into play because he's done all right where he was at Ajax. So why can't he reproduce that? We're three games in, so it could be a, too early to say what's going on. But it's puzzling how bad Palace are. I mean, there's only one team worse in the division. That's West Ham. Um, but why can't they get... I run again. Why can't they string anything together? They just seem all at sea, like they've got nothing to offer. And they're one of my picks to go down without a shadow of a doubt. And that's not just based on the three games. There's something toxic going on behind the scenes at Crystal Palace. And I just don't think they've, they're long for the Premier League, let's put it that way. I have a, I have a theory on, on why, he's, why they're struggling this season. Um, I think we all were a bit surprised that they struggled as badly as they did last season with Benteke, Zaha, Kabai, Townsend. 
but when you think about it, uh, De Boer has come in, um, right, he was really successful at Ajax. He won four leagues in six years. He was disastrous at Inter Milan. But he's come into Palace, not just, it was kind of one of these, they wanted him to, to mould all the youth teams to play the Ajax style of football, 4-3-3. Every player comfortable on the ball, interchangeable, total football, basically. I was just thinking during the week, when you look at it, that's the, the last three managers at, at Palace, the people who've built that squad of players he has, he's only been allowed to bring a couple in, were Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew and Sam Allardyce, all old-fashioned, direct, long-ball merchants, basically. So that Palace side is set up to play direct into Benteke. And when you look at, their, at the back line against Swansea the other day, they had Ward, Kelly, Scott Dan in the first game of the season, you could tell playing the ball out from the back was just alien to him. Mm. So I think the squad of players they have just doesn't suit a manager who wants to go to that expansive style. Um, if they want to go that way, then they have to back him. And I saw today that they're still messing around offering 22 million for Sacco, who kind of kept him up last year. Just pay Liverpool the 30 million, you know? 30 million to a Premier League club, as we all know, is nothing these days. So um, I know they say a bad workman always blames his tools, but you know, you can't give a carpenter a load of pipes and tell him to, to build a house, you know what I mean? You have to give him stuff he can work with as well. So, If your theory's it, correct, though, it makes it all the more puzzling why Palace went for De Boer and yeah, yeah. out of him. He hasn't got the players to reproduce that. But De Boer, at the same time, should be learning from those mistakes. You can't reproduce that style of football with those type of players. And that's not to say they're bad players, because most of them are not. There's some good Premier League players, the players that will give you service can score goals, but you have to play to their strengths. And if he's not doing that, then you're going to find out quickly that he's not a good manager. And as we discussed, say, with Jurgen Klopp or um, the Baldy at Man City, a lack of ability to adapt. We must play to a certain regimented style of football. This is my brand of football. It's like Wenger at Arsenal. This is my brand of football. Well, actually, when you're in the Premier League, you need to be versatile and you need to learn how the game's going. Unless you're someone like Allardyce or Pulis, they'll play to a strict sort of defensive line and they will play into space. But even that, and I know this is a West Ham fan, when you play like that, there are games you're going to lose three or four nil because there's teams that can exploit that easily. So, But it's that lack of adaptability that's going to see either De Boer go or Palace go down. Obviously, Palace want to change uh, their philosophy and they want people to think of them as, uh, in, a, in a different light after the Pards, Pulis and Big Sam uh, were there. But why get in a manager of De, like De Boer who, who loves playing the Croy football and not back them and not they've only they've only signed have they signed two players this season one on loan Loftus Cheek on loan and um, the, one of the, the Ajax boys for 8 million right, right of all and then they got uh, Fosio Mensah off you know. Fosio Mensah that's hard, all yeah. young very young players you know? yeah but that's that's two defenders now usually with that sort of style of football obviously he wants to play it from the back you're going to need defenders uh, granted but you do need you do need someone in midfield who's going to set the tempo and dictate uh, the pace of games. Um, and it doesn't look like they've got anyone in there. They've got Kabai, but I don't even think Kabai is an uh, automatic starter anymore. For them. And he's the only one for no. me. They've Jason Punchin and they've um, Milievich. They don't seem to have anyone that uh, can control the tempo of a game. And I, I don't see it. I, I don't really blame De Boer if, if he gets the bullet after six or seven games because... I do. I'd blame De Boer completely. No, I, I don't, no I, I don't blame De Boer. <laughs> not oh, sorry. De Boer. Oh, not nice. De Boer. You know, I'm not, doing, <laughs> going, I'm not going all Irish on you. you know? 
I don't blame the ball. <laughs> that's, that's racist. That's racist. Um, so we'll right, let's move on. I think uh, just before we go to the break, we should bring back the next feature, which is the quiz. Uh, last week, we had uh, limited players, so Peter managed to take an early lead. This week, well, I've got four questions. It's going to be kind of straight knockout, okay? So two on two and then a final. So we've got uh, Peter and Danny. It's an all-Irish affair on that side. Right, come on. Come on, come on, Ward, I got you here. When I ask the question, you got to say your name and then I'll go to you. If you get it wrong, it goes to the other person, okay? I've got four questions and uh, Scott, can you pick a number between one and four? Three. This is going to be good for one of you, right. Liverpool beat Arsenal 4-0. Name Liverpool's four scorers in the order in which they scored. Danny. 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 Yeah. Uh, Firmino, Mane, Salah, Sturridge. Boom, you're through to the final, Peter, you're gone. You want the minutes as well? No. Good luck to you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> got, Peter, you got unlucky there with the Liverpool question. Right, boys, so it's... Uh, Scott, That's a fix. Peter, can I get a uh, random number between, well, one no, and three? No, I don't, no, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> this is England and Wales now, boys. Come, it's England v Wales now. England and Wales, right. Peter, between one and three? Uh, two. All right, boys. Which side did Frank de Boer manage before taking over at Crystal Palace? Cole. Into Milan. Correct. Oh, up yours, West Ham. Up yours. <laughs> <laughs> and we're down to the final. Uh, Scott, can I get a random number between one and two, please? Uh, oh, it's a tough one, too. Right. So, uh, first person to say their name, you got to give me the right answer. If you get it wrong, it goes to the other person. It's between Carl and Danny. Name the Premier League side who, so far, after three games, have earned Danny. exactly. Danny. I'll finish the question, mate. No, no, no. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hey, look. You, I, I don't know. You, you know, you, you that take... Deep, that deep you pay your money, to, you take your chances. That's it. No, you, gotta, you can have a guess. Go on. Okay. That have, I, I, I've exactly... No, I don't know gold. <laughs> no goals. No clean sheets. Hey, stop looking up stuff. Go on, go on. Pass it on them. Let it come back. Name the Premier League side, the one Premier League side. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, well, Carl, yeah, I know. Carl have you got us? Brighton. Brighton. Brighton and Hove Albion is Brighton. the correct answer. Congratulations. Three points well on the Wales. board for Carl. He's yes. Come on, you yids. All right. Uh, that's it. We'll go to the break and we'll come back with uh, a rant from uh, Scott, I think. Yeah, you'd be fucking lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> Very quickly, I just want to take the chance to tell you how to get in touch with the show and get loads more great Premier League content. There are new articles going up every day on our website, psfootball.net. You'll find links to some of the articles mentioned in the show in the info section of this pod. And if you sign up to our newsletter through our homepage, you'll get all the latest news, videos and betting tips. We're on Twitter at underscore PS underscore football, on Instagram at PS football, that's football with a U. We're on Facebook, and if you want to make sure you never miss an episode of the pod, follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. And we're back. Let's talk West Ham. And uh, I think, well, we'll just open the floor to you, Scott. Away you go. There's plenty of positions to start with. First of all, the club from top to bottom is toxic. The only good thing about West Ham United at the moment is the supporters. I think we've sold out. We had, um, because of the fucking stadium... We've had four away games back to back. That's including the the, the Carabao Cup, um, where we were lucky to beat Cheltenham. It says something when your um, 34 year old defender James Collins, who's who got his 200 appearance in the game, I think, 
he uh, was man of the match. We were absolutely awful. Um, I'll come to that in a second. So there was we had four back-to-back away games, two of which should have been home, Southampton and, and Cheltenham in the League Cup. And um, we've had three losses in the back of that. And we look to our first home game that comes up on the 11th against Huddersfield. Now, I'll quickly touch on that. Huddersfield are playing well. And inviting them to come to London Stadium for the first game is going to fucking scare the shit out of me. They're going to be riding high. We're on a low from top to bottom. And it all starts at the board. You've got the Dildo Brothers, who I think they've got a net spend of four million at the moment. And you've got Tits McGee, um, Karen Brady, if you don't know that, his, who's, um, who's moved us into this fucking dump uh, with the promise of uh, world-class players, great nights, European football. And where we look, we're currently bottom of the fucking Premier League. We've shipped 10 goals and I think we've scored two. Now, we have to look at the manager. We have to look at the squad. Um, one of which is going to be nominated for Prick of the Week. We'll come to that, obviously. But w- what's happened at West Ham? You've got um, the way Billich sets up the team with the players that he's bought. Like Spurs, and it was interesting to hear Carl saying this earlier, that they've got no pace about them. We are fucking pedestrian. I mean, from start to finish of a game, there's no movement off the ball. And you can see someone like Hernandez getting pissed off because he's used to getting balls in the box where he can be most effective. But he's got him coming deep at the same time. He keeps changing around the defenders. He, he'll have Bonner on. He'll have Collins on. Um, I hope Reed's injured at the moment. Uh, Font, who's an absolute disaster of signing. And I'm glad we're going to be talking transfers at the moment because there's lots to talk about regarding West Ham. And we can't get off the mark. Uh, you've got the biggest wanker in football as far as I'm concerned. Andre, are you? What a lazy, long streak of piss this geezer is. He doesn't challenge for a ball. He doesn't run into space. He just doesn't do anything with a football. And when you're watching a game... But to see there and see no one put in a performance, for nothing to happen, there's no passion, there's no drive. And the only player that's shown anything in any of these games is 18-year-old Declan Rice, who, I might add, um, he did make a mistake during the game. And all West Ham fans are on his side for this. He didn't do too much wrong. He, tried, he was the only player who had the bollocks to go chasing that ball back, and he almost recovered it, stopping Newcastle scoring there first. And then Billich, come half-time, and his fucking wisdom goes, I know what we'll do. We've got, so far, at the three games, the best player on that pitch has been Declan Rice. We'll ship him off and we'll stick Lanzini on. Now, Lanzini, arguably our best player, absolutely. But you, there was better choices to take off. He could have taken off Noble. Could have taken off Ed Milson. Um, he should have started with Obiang. You've got Coyotes fit at the moment to give you a bit more about you. Noble, I love him to pieces. I think he's only, he's just passed his 400 appearance. Captain West Ham, local lad. But the fucker's lost his legs. I'm saying, I'm saying we're pedestrian, but in the centre of midfield, we've got no one who's got any pace who can move about. And he's a, he's always a tackle away from either getting sent off, causing a penalty, causing a free kick near the, the edge of the 18-yard box. And at the moment, he's more trouble than he's worth. Then you've got the manager and his strange tactical decisions, where he plays his players, loves a square peg and a round hole. Uh, they, they don't seem fit, which is a major concern. We're, we're three games into the Premier League, and they're all blowing out their arsehole. West Ham are in fucking trouble. There's no two ways about it, unless there's some changes made, which don't seem likely because we've got an indecisive board. You don't want to pay a manager in his last year of his contract off to piss off. We really are looking at a relegation season. It's just a strange place to find ourselves in this position, going from really optimistic before the season started with four good signings to now going... Well, actually, the silver lining in the way we're looking at things is we could be in the championship next year. I know we're only three games in, but the writing is sometimes written on the wall early. 
that we, we can possibly look forward to Millwall away. It's shocking. It's 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 typical West Ham in fairness. You take a step forward, which was our last season at the bowling ground, which was a fantastic way to leave it. Um, we move into this shithole stadium um, with no personality. And then uh, we, we have a bad first season, which you could have forgiven everyone for growing pains, getting used to the ground. And now we find ourselves where we are. And it doesn't not. It, it looks like we've gone backwards even further. And if I'm Javier Hernandez, uh, who's got a good pedigree, could have joined bigger clubs than West Ham United, um, and he must be thinking, why the fuck have I turned up here? The manager doesn't know how to play to my strengths. I'm coming in deep. I'm I'm pl- I'm coming in at midfield to pick up the ball to to run at the fence when the ball should be coming into me when I should be getting service. And the last thing at the moment is the funniest thing. We're being linked with William Carvalho. Everyone knows who William Carvalho is. You'd say, in most cases, well out of West Ham United's league. And typically to the board, you don't want to put any cash on the table. They're haggling over three million. We know they're haggling over three million because we've got uh, an insider. You get lots of ITKs for football clubs, but we've got one who goes by the name of ex-West Ham U employee. He gets the inside scoop. We think, he's, a lot of us actually think he's a puppet for Sullivan to push out sort of West Ham-based propaganda. Um, but the news coming out of the club is we're haggling over three million for arguably someone who could be, has the potential to be a world-class player. West Ham United Football Club are a fucking joke. West Ham United Football Club are destined to always fail. Uh, and if the highlight of my season is turning over Spurs at some point, like Carl said earlier, I give up. Boys, over to you. Village, Village was a class centre-back in his day. Um, played for West Ham Everton. Um, did did a lot of good things with Croatia. Played major major tournaments, but since since the beginning of last season, West Ham have made 27 errors that led to goals, which is by far and away the most in the Premier League. And it's just weird that a manager who was a central defender and one of the best central defenders in Europe uh, on his day when he played can't organise defence. On then to a happier situation, and it's time for Pulis watch. The exciting 1-1 draw that none of us actually saw coming. We're sure it was going to be 1-0. Peter? It was an emotional day for Tony this Sunday because he was facing his his old club, Stoke. Uh, Mark Hughes came out afterwards and accused him of deliberately uh, letting the grass be very long on the pitch and not watering it, which, of course, is a classic Tony Pulis tactic that he's known for at the Britannia, or the Bet365, as it's now called. The Stoke fans were also giving him a lot of stick, which I thought was a bit harsh because he's the one who made them into a, into a Premier League, an established Premier League club. But a 1-1 draw, he'd 43% possession this week, lads, which is just out of this world for Tony. <laughs> seven, seven points, it's, it's a brilliant start. And they'll be busy now over the next few days, but uh, Tony, Tony's still living the dream. Um, I expect them to, to have the sandals on by Christmas at this rate. Um, <laughs> Just in case anybody's worried uh, that they won't be able to see some dire long ball football this week, Ireland are playing at five o'clock on Saturday. So tune in and you'll get your, your Tony Pulis type feel. Carl, what about Stoke? Because, uh, well, actually, they're looking all right, aren't they? Yeah, the last couple of games has been much better for them, hasn't it? Uh, I actually kind of felt they really struggled this year and I don't know if I completely go away from that I mean they've made some good signings but again no signings are players that they wouldn't be getting if those players are in their prime as such but the last couple of games have looked good and while you've got someone like Crouch who can always knock one in with a smile on his face um, 
then yeah, you know, may, maybe we, I've jumped to an early conclusion, and naturally that they'll be all right. But they, they would definitely have taken that that point because West Brom are a difficult team to play against. So maybe they're on the turn, and Hughes is is finally getting those players to gel, and it will come together. But our, our jury's still out for me on Stoke. Scott, what about Chelsea then? Because it looks like that opening day was just uh, a bit of a blip because they looked very solid against Everton, didn't they? I, I think I said it, they're my pick to win the league. I don't, I don't see Chelsea having too many problems. They've got a good squad of players. I don't know if they're looking to sign anyone else in this window, but I, I think people at the early stage of the season, West Ham excluded, get carried away with our teams are doing. And I think after that first day performance, you've got to remember that two players sent off, one early doors, the captain, and people look far too much into that and come to the conclusion Chelsea are going to struggle. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. And ne- next week, if they lose, we'll be on the flip side going, fucked at Chelsea. <laughs> but Conte's on his way out. That's it. It's finished. It's the doom and gloom. Abramovich is going to sack him, sack him off. He's going to get one of these Russian it men to come in and do the job. We just don't know how it's going to work out for him. I, I just think it's a case of over a, a good portion of games, we're talking four, five or six against tough opposition. Chelsea may not, when that comes around, is going to be an interesting game. And that, I think that will be the glimpse in who's going to win the, the division. Um, but I think they'll be fine. They're, they're still my... Well, I said May United, so I'll be contradicting myself. But I, I think they'll be fine. They'll definitely be challenging for the title. Anyone who says otherwise is probably um, wrong. You know, everybody's saying Chelsea are in crisis now. Conte caused a lot of that himself by by saying in the media that he didn't have enough players and stuff. So it's not. it wasn't a case that everyone just go, oh, they're struggling. Conte came out and said, we don't have enough players and I'm not happy that we sold Maddich, for example. And Yeah, but you know, in fair, it, in fairness, last season they started off slow and people were going, he's out the door, he's gone. Chelsea have let their best manager ever go. They've brought in their stud. And then after a few games of poor results, uh, they put together a fantastic run and they won the league. And I don't know, I'm, I'm a cynic, naturally. Um, I'm looking at Conte and I'm going, is this done purposely is this a mind game people forget mind games are a big part of football game uh the man upstairs ain't putting the checkbook out we're fucked that's it we ain't winning the league this year sorry boys champions league you're having a laugh and then what happens at the end of that is um it's in everyone's mind that chelsea are on the way and they're on the way down and they're like some united and, and liverpool on their way up that the, they can just sneak in they can go and cruise control a bit and then they'll they'll attack the top again I know Tottenham put the pressure on. That's what they do. They always put the pressure on. But I'd say overall, Chelsea deserve the win. And they've won their first major game of the season against Tottenham. That's their big rival uh, as far as uh, that fan rivalry. Um, I just think we always read too much into things too early. Come mid-season, we'll know exactly where Chelsea are or should be. Carl, what about Morata then? Earlier on, we spoke about, uh, you know, we wondered who got the better deal between Lukaku and Morata. But well, he seems to be doing the business now, doesn't he? He's had a good little spell, hasn't he, in the last few games? Um, other than that chance he missed against Spurs at Wembley, which he really should have tucked away the free header. Um, but he looks, he looks a decent player. He's starting to look like maybe it's just he's finding his feet now and his fitness. Because I know there was the rumours that Conte didn't think he was as fit as he should be. So maybe it is a case of the hard work on the training ground now is paying off. I mean, there's never been any denying that the guy has been a decent striker. It's just he's never been been able to hold down a regular place somewhere and maybe this will be it with Chelsea because he doesn't really have any real competition there by the looks of it at the moment but if he carries on doing what he's doing over these last few games then then he'll score the goals needed to keep Chelsea up there and challenging this year. 
Peter, Everton have had an awful tough start to the season and it actually doesn't look like getting any better. It wasn't really talked about too much, but it was only when I saw that they had Chelsea, I thought, oh, that's tough after City. And then they have Spurs next away to Atlanta, I think it is, in the Europa League. And then they go to Manchester United. So that that's a horrific start for, for any club. So I'd say they'll be just looking to get through them first five games with maybe eight, nine points would be a good return from them and then try and build on that. You know, you might say that they were a bit tired after the Europa League and going into, going into the Chelsea game, but Chelsea, you know, that was a walk in the park for Chelsea, really. Everton didn't really offer anything. Um, I haven't seen anything from Everton to make me change my original prediction that they're the best of the rest. They'll finish seventh. They might sign a striker now before the end of the deadline, but I still haven't seen enough for them, even though they have this tough start to really make me think they'll finish anywhere, anywhere but seventh. By the time the next episode is out, the transfer window will have closed, but uh, things are really, really starting to ramp up now, and uh, none more so than at uh, at Anfield. Danny, Thomas Lamar, Virgil van Dijk, it looks like they're both going to be arriving. Maybe, yeah. I, I hope so. I really hope so. And if someone were to offer me those two and Coutinho go the other way, uh, as a fan, I'd take it. For as much as I rate Coutinho, I think he's a cracking player, and I think he's he could fit in quite nicely at Barcelona. Uh, we haven't really missed them. We're scoring plenty of goals. There's uh, and that's without Lalana as well. So there's plenty of creativity and there's plenty of goals in the side. But there's still always that thing hanging over us that we we might concede. <clears throat> and I said it, I wrote a piece for the uh, for the side a few months back. All Liverpool need, uh, not all they need, but the, the most important thing for the club to really compete, I think, is a defender that likes to defend and a defender that can keep his concentration for 90 minutes uh, I used to watch a lot of Van Dijk at Celtic and it's kind of similar in a way I know Liverpool don't dominate the way Celtic do but Liverpool have the ball pretty much the same as Celtic and he never seemed to switch off even at Celtic even when they were 4-0 up against Partick Thistle or Hamilton Ackies he always for him keeping a clean sheet was like scoring a goal and that's very important because you have to have pride I think defenders need to have a bit more pride in a clean sheet it's not always just about winning I think we've all played football before where you'd be 4-0 up and you might win 4-1 or 4-2 and the centre-backs would come off pissed off, you know. Their job, they didn't do their job. Yeah, you won the four points and it's a team game. We all understand that. But you want to go onto that pitch as a defender and defend. You want to keep a clean sheet. And I think Van Dijk is this, that sort of guy. I think there's a bit of arrogance and pride in him. And for me, again, as I said, concentration is key. When you're playing as a top, top uh, team with uh, ambitions of winning things, you're not going to be under too much pressure, apart from free kicks and corners. You're not going to be under the cosh for 25 minutes, a half an hour at a time against most of the weak teams. You're really against the big teams. So concentration is key for me. So if we can get that deal done... Uh, rumours on Twitter now that he's been spotted uh, in Liverpool I don't know there's been not, there's been nothing about it there's been a few from a few rag kind of uh, online sites that the deal was still going to happen and every time Leon Osman or Winterburn says they think he'll go that, that makes it more believable I don't know if Liverpool have been in contact with Southampton and if uh, if they have and they're talking about silly money, they're talking about 70 or 80 million, spend it. Because I think he's he, he's the difference between Liverpool really having a pop at the title and Liverpool probably going for third or fourth again. Thomas Lamar, um, his, his numbers look really good. I saw him three or four times last year in the Champions League. 
He looks like a cracking player. Arsenal were offering 30 and 35 million. Liverpool are now up to double that. And that says to me, maybe a little bit of panic stations and that, that Coutinho might be out the door. But as I said, if we could get those two deals done, and I don't think we're dead in the Oxlade-Chamberlain deal, I, I think he wants to go to Liverpool by the sounds of it. I think, I think Klopp is, is, is starting to flex his muscles. And I think a lot of people are starting to want to play for him. It's very rare that Liverpool uh, usurp play, um, London, really. Hopefully Klopp's charm uh, w- wins the war with two of th- two out of three of them anyway. I think Liverpool will uh, they'll be set for a, a decent season, a crack at it anyway. Well, let's talk about London then because uh, it's fucking mental. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, mainly Arsenal. Um, we didn't talk a huge amount about them earlier because uh, they were absolutely woeful at the weekend and off the pitch. It just looks like the biggest fucking shit show going. Peter, do you want to take over this do we start with Sanchez talk about the Sterling deal do we go on about Oxlade Chamberlain I mean where do we start yeah well I think Oxlade Chamberlain gives you a good um, idea of how things are at that club now obviously they've accepted the bid from Chelsea but and as Danny said rumours are he does actually prefer the move to Liverpool Arsenal have offered him 180 grand a week that's a hell of a lot more money than either Liverpool or Chelsea will offer him. And he still said, look, I want to go. So that is telling you that a guy who's been there, I don't know what it is, six, seven years, he's already able to tell, look, I'm not hanging around here anymore because nothing ever changes. I don't, you know, we take the piss out of Arsenal fan TV on the pod all the time. But I watched some of their, their stuff the other night and it, it's hard not to agree with them, like, you know, there were supposed to be changes this summer. He brought in Lehman, supposedly, as um, you know, as a no-show coach with no real role behind the scenes. He still hasn't given up any power in, in terms of training sessions, anything. He got a two million rise for finishing fifth. He's just he's an arrogant man now at this stage. It, it's so obvious that it doesn't work. Um, he's the only manager as well that is unique in, in that all other managers can kind of point the finger and say, well, I didn't sign him, I didn't sign him. He has signed every single player in that in that group uh, in that squad, and um, for them to fail in the same fashion over and over again is just pathetic. Now at this stage, it actually annoys me. I don't even know why. It's just frustrating even watching them. It's also uh, stupid, though. I mean, why even play Oxley Chamberlain the other day when he? I mean, he he knew at that stage that he was for the off. Yeah, he didn't want to go. You could see, normally he'd be one player you'd think would put in a shift, but he was one that was highlighted on the telly as, as not yeah, not chasing back, etc. Sanchez wants out. That's as clear as day. Wenger set himself self up for a fall. The Lamar deal, he said, oh, Monaco definitely won't sell 100%. So if he goes to Liverpool, that's more egg on his face. Sanchez wants out. It's going to be difficult to keep him, I think, now at this stage. From a business point of view, anyway, if City are offering... Well, we thought City were offering money, but if they go, if he goes ahead and pays money, if he does a swap deal with Man City and he pays money for Raheem Sterling on top of giving them Sanchez, I don't know. That's just the most ridiculous piece of business I've ever heard in my life. Yes. And it's just the, the whole culture of the club is wrong. There's so like you remember the um, the. Community Shield, everyone was saying, oh, look how many more players Arsenal have in their squad. That's because he allows players to just hang around the club, even though they're nowhere near the squad. So it's nothing like, it doesn't matter if you're not playing well at Arsenal. You're not, there's, there's, he's no not ruthless. 
No, he's not. They said it on Sky the other day. He's not ruthless with the players. The board aren't ruthless with him. And you know what? At this stage, I, I actually agree with the Arsenal fan, a lot of what the people on Arsenal fan t- TV are saying because it's it's ridiculous. It's a joke now at this stage. Henry described it as comfortable and nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, apparently Kieran Gibbs could be on the way out as well. Uh, turned down a move to Watford, but might be on his way to West Brom. And speaking of West Brom, uh, Johnny Evans, that he could be going to Arsenal, but uh, still mulling over a deal about City. What do you think about that, Carl? It's hard to know what to think about that deal, isn't it? Um, Johnny Evans to Man City. Ooh. United fans would do their pieces, I should imagine. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I've never really seen enough of John- Johnny Evans has never stood out as he. He's always just been one of those players that you go, yeah, yeah, centre-back, yeah, does okay. Probably looks good in a good side, in an average side, looks an average player. Um, but I guess if they get him and he's some cover and maybe he's a bit more solid than people like Otamendi for City and playing alongside someone like Stones, you know, maybe maybe that's a decent signing for City. I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't really... It, it doesn't excite you if you were City fans, does it? But then if you get Sanchez in, then that, that's, that's it. And maybe... He's... Do you think they've got Evans in because... Because he doesn't have the... Uh, he's got the limelight on him at West Brom. He's their main centre-half. He's their captain. So he's able to stand out that bit more. And they can see that he's a good, solid Premier League defender. Um, and that's what Man City really need. Maybe that, yeah, maybe that is what they're signing him for. He's actually nothing fancy, but he does the job. And actually, someone like that for City could be... 100% what they're crying out for, to be honest. I think he's a yeah. fantastic guy. But, I mean, but, for, for but, 7 but million... Guys, I think that could be one of the most... If City get him... OK, Arsenal are interested. He seems like an intelligent bloke to me. He won't go anywhere near Arsenal. Leicester have also bid from. It wouldn't really be a big step up going to, to Leicester from West Brom unless they doubled or tripled his wages. Johnny Evans is hugely rated at Man United by Ferguson. The reason they let PK go was to let uh, Johnny Evans come true and his whole family moved over with him his missus I don't know if she still does but she used to present on MUTV so moving to Manchester would be very good for him and I actually think that oh, him great. going in there he could he could be one of the main reasons City could win the title if they get him it could be one of them signings doesn't look fancy but he's a very if, if he can his problem's always been fitness and he seems to got on top of that now if he can keep uh, regularly fit him and company together would be very good. And he'd be to go in beside Otamendi or Stones instead of playing Stones and Otamendi together. That bit of extra Premier League experience. He's four Premier League titles, I think, or three. I think that'll be a really, I think that'll actually be an inspired city, a signing by City, uh, even yeah. though most people don't see it as being glamorous. Enough, need, you know? He, he doesn't look fancy. He probably doesn't look fancy because he's Northern Irish. You know what I mean? He's a quality player. No, if he was German, though. Look at Northern Ireland's defence. Northern Ireland are a team made up of, you know, all sorts of ragdoll players from, you know, from all sorts, all sorts of walks of life. Nearly, they keep clean sheets, and he's a defender. Again, this might sound very simple. He's a defender that likes to defend, and he's very good at it. And he might be no frills, but City have enough frills. I said it earlier on. They've enough frills going forward. You know, they have enough frills in their front front six. You know, the centre backs don't have to have frills and be able to do six thousand volleys. Headers and bodies. Just let have at least two players that want to that want to play in their position and want to defend like defenders. And I think he'd be a cracking signing for. Trouble is, Guardiola is going to play him at left wing back. Apparently, isn't he? Guardiola. <laughs> He's going to replace Aguero, no? Carl, what about uh, Spurs? Then you mentioned that they need some pace. Where is that going to come from? 
the, the, the trouble with Spurs is the time it takes us to get a deal, the, there's only three days left. We've had some Argentinian who I think's fucking swimming over, to be honest, <laughs> the fucking time that he's taken to get here. And, you know, I think at the moment, Levy's like Levy's like one of your mates in a nightclub at three o'clock, and he's starting to go around the pigs now asking if someone wants a bunk up because <laughs> he's running out of time massively. I hear so they you saying Bolt a deal just because he's got well, to I, I would... I criminals they're trying to find us. criminals now as well criminals yeah, yeah. Get, get the crims in get the crims in but no honestly we need that right back with a bit of pace because when rose is back if we can have two fullbacks at bomb then that's not too bad i would love to see mares come in i really would i think he's got that something special about him i know there's a lot of spurs fans who give it this cobblers about oh but he won't fit into Pochi's pressing game well I couldn't give a fuck about that if he can do something with a ball to be honest because we've got 10 men who can press and it hasn't we haven't won nothing yet so maybe we need that bit of flair I'm not so keen on Barkley if someone like Draxler's available then I don't He's think that would be a bad shout Use kind of for Draxler no but that's the only problem All like but, but again, that yeah. is the only stumbling block, isn't it? We won't pay the money in wages that's going to get us anyone significant. He'll, he'd, so, want, he'd want 200, 200. Yeah, exactly. Coming from PSG, you would anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And, and that's not going to happen. So, um, Mares, I think, could be gettable for us. Um, the, this guy, fourth, the, I say the Argentinian who's swimming over. Hopefully, when he comes out of the Thames, he'll be all right. Um, <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, I, I can tell you, you know, they're, they're trying to give it all this about they might put a late bid in for Lamar. <laughs> really? No chance. Um, yeah, I worry. I worry. Three days left. I'm really worried. I think we'll end up with an injured Barkley and just this Argentinian kid and then Origi on loan. Thank fuck for Origi's coming. Is Grant Holt still playing? <laughs> I was hoping AD Booth, AD Booth might still be playing. We could uh, bring him back again. No, it, it's not looking good to be honest. It's been left too late again. Levy time. Scott, what about uh, West Ham then? You mentioned uh, you had a few ideas. Well, there's two positions that need feeling drastically: the centre midfield and uh, centre back. We and also the and the manager, yeah, possibly. Um, that's Eddie Howe if I had the choice, by the way. Um, Sacco has also been linked with us, and I think he'd be a really good signing, um, a strong centre-half to play alongside Reid. The reason being is because Collins is coming to the end of his days. He's all heart. He's, he, he, he bleeds claret and blue, and it's lovely to have someone like him in the heart of defence. All heart, no hair. Yeah, exactly. Lovely beard, though. It's just dashing, lovely bit. Um, so it'd be nice to get someone like Sacco in, but we can't see that. And the, the haggling over um, William Carvalho, a potentially world-class player in the making, um, just get, gets on my tits. It's typical West Ham. Um, and you always think, is this to more club propaganda? Because you, if you get a chance to sign a player like that, you can't haggle over three million. Pay Sport in Lisbon a three million extra, and then we've got a player that could be the difference between us doing well and sinking down the table because him signing will also lift the rest of the squad. But the poison dwarf and Tits McGee and the, the, David Golder looks like he's about to croak it. Um, you just can't see it getting over the line. You come transfer deadline at midnight on the 31st. You're just going to go, what the fuck's happening at West Ham? And then all of us, the first game at London Stadium against Huddersfield, you'll be a toxic atmosphere to, to kick us off there. One bad pass, and it'll be 90 minutes of West Ham fans getting the ump. 
and we'd have to hope for a miracle from that point onwards. So I really, 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 really hope that we get Carvalho over the line because that will lift everyone and that will see us through to Huddersfield with a bit of confidence. But can't see it, can't see it. It's, it could really, I'd say, well, maybe not just even the last day, but over the next two or three days, it could be mental and we could it, it could end up being, actually not being an anti-climax for, for once and it could end up being... The one that had the transfer deadline day that has the most amount of money spent. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, sure. Almost at the end of the show, let's go on to the regular feature, which is quotes of the week. Uh, last week, we got Peter's best Northern... Sorry, I can't. I don't know what actually it was, but this week, just to make it easier, we're going to go with George Best and the Northern Irish accent. Peter, do you want to take us off? Yeah, this had nothing got to do with the fact that uh, I'm the person who picks the quotes and yeah. Uh, yeah. went for Northern Ar- a Northern Irish person. I'm I'm looking, I'm googling famous Northern Irish footballers at the moment to come up with another one. For next week. <laughs> but uh, here we go, um, George Best, what a legend! In 1969, I gave up women and alcohol. It was the worst 20 minutes of my life. Pete, did you well change done, Rory McElroy. <laughs> did you change your accent? Oh, I didn't hear it. <laughs> that, that was a good. That was a good, good Dutch one there, Pete. That's a good Dutch <laughs> one there. That was a good impression of himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a parody of myself. You are. All right, Carl, do you want to have a go? Go on in, go on in. So one of the best one I like of George Best is when Ah, I went missing a lot. Miss World, Miss UK, and Miss Canada. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> and then he found his fucking Lucky Charms or something. <laughs> you sounded like the bloke off the Lucky Charms. Yeah. I'll tell you I've modelled that on. If you've ever seen Forty Towers, there was a great episode where he gets a builder in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking to him. He says, oh, I love a woman with spirit, Mrs. Forty. I do, I do, I do. That's, that, 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 that's two now you've had. Right. Scott, thanks. <laughs> I like this one. Good context. We all, everyone loves this bloke. But it's uh, George Best taking the piss out of Gaza. He goes, I once said to Gaza, IQ, oh, that was fucking the South. Sorry, pardon me. <clears throat> you might need to cut that bit out. <clears throat> I once said Gaza's IQ was less. Uh, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm having a mint. Yeah, I can't even read. What's going on? I'll do it. I'll quickly do it. I'll quickly do it. Um, I once said Gaz's IQ was less than his shirt number, and he asked me, "What's an IQ?" Uh, you got there in the end. You got, well, a, you got there Gaza, right at the Gaza very end. Gaza turned into Irish in the end. You got it right at the end. Of right the end, at yeah. the very end. All right, Danny, away you I go. just balls up and start finish. Um, the last yeah. in the winner there, man. I actually didn't practice this at all at all. Uh, and why he moved to uh, American, uh, the American Soccer League with uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, Jeez, I haven't practiced at all now. Uh, be, be, what's Northern Irish accent? <laughs> Jesus fuck. Um, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Because, uh, yeah, because I saw an advert on the side of the London bus invite me to drink Canada dry. <laughs> it's in American. I love it. <laughs> I yeah, that's it. Guys, that's all I got. Here, look, lads. For once, I, I think one. this might be the first week I wasn't the worst. I think you've won it. I think you've actually won it. I think you've actually won it. All right, almost at the end, uh, let's do the PS Football Premier League all-time 11, and we're on the wingers this week. Peter? Right, so on, on the right, there wasn't much thinking needed for me. It was Cristiano Ronaldo, an absolute phenomenon in his last two seasons with United. 
yeah, just a goal a game, scoring all the games and big goals, pace, trickery, kind of introduced us to it. Well, in England, introduced us to the knuckleball free kick. Uh, yeah, it's gone on to even better things at Real Madrid. It has to be in there on the right-hand side of midfield for me. On the left, I was saying earlier when I was talking about Mares, and it seems to be the trend in football now to have inverted wingers, so a right-footed uh, boy on, on the left and, and vice versa, left-footed on the right. But I always remember when I was growing up and watching Man United play, when Ryan Giggs was on the right, I just always found it gave just great balance to the team because he'd always stay out wide and always go down the byline instead of cutting in. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of pre- the most ever Premier League uh, appearances, most ever Premier League assists, um, most ever Premier League medals, uh, you know, his career, the numbers of his career are just phenomenal. But having said that, the more I think about it, I'm going to contradict myself because I want to get as many, not to say Giggs wasn't an attacking player, but I want to put Thierry Henry in there as left winger. Because I think he played a lot of his career kind of off the left. You know, yeah, he was always going uh, coming in off the left and curling it around the goalkeeper. That was his kind of, um, that, that was a pure Thierry Henry type of finish. And for me, anyway, growing up, even though I'm a Man United fan, he was my favourite ever player. Him and full flow was just unstoppable. Pace, power, technique, just an unbelievable player. Pity he's such a poor pundit. And I, I'm going to go for Thierry Henry on the left. Shoehorning him in there. Uh, Carl, what about you? Yeah, I think on the left, I'd have to go Giggs. I don't think you could. Uh, anyone could deny that with what he's done and what he's achieved and the actual skill the guy had was amazing, wasn't it? Pace to burn, trickery to go with it and just one of one of the reasons United was so deadly. Um, but on the other side, uh, I'm going to throw, I'm going to stick Ginola out on the other side. Um, probably one of my... One of my best couple of seasons ever watching Ginola at Spurs, and again at Newcastle, he was he was he was a great wide man. The 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 flair and the creativity and just the style that the guy had, you know, he got the ball and you just stand up because you were expecting something great to happen. And that iconic goal against for you know for Spurs against Barnsley, and also the goal you know against United for Newcastle just a smashing in in the top corner. Um, so I'd go for Giggs and Ginola as my two wide men. Very good. Scott? I'm going to go for two classics. I'm going to go for Jose Dominguez and Rule Fox. Perfect. Oh, yeah, I had them. I perfectly <laughs> had them in my mind a minute ago. You git. How, how about that, eh? <laughs> no, my... Don't forget Steve Guppy. Exactly. Oh, what a player. Leicester. Cracking. He ended up selling, didn't he? Anyway, um, my actual picks... I don't think you can look past Ryan Giggs. He's won everything in the game that was to win. Um, he played um, every season from, I think it was 92 to when he retired to the Premier League, scored in every season. Uh, an absolute incredible player. I sometimes don't think he got the, the credit he deserves. I know he's um, he's got plaudits, but um, he, he's like the forgotten man for me a bit. And my favourite thing about Giggs was his adaptability to play. On the other side, um, because Ronaldo would have been my other pick, so I agree with Pete there, but he can play in any position within the front line. It'd be too easy to pick him. I'm going to go with Steve McManaman. Uh, it was a proper winger's winger for me. I really enjoyed watching McManaman as a kid, taking on players, um, killer right foot, cutting the inside and put a good cross in. Um, just exciting player to watch, and I'm sure Danny will agree with that at some point. But uh, yeah, it would be for me, Giggs and McManaman. Interesting. Danny? Uh, I've gone with uh, Ronaldo and McManaman. 
so I have. Um, probably both of them have um, had the biggest highlights of their careers, not in the Premiership, but um, I went for two players I just loved watching. Ronaldo, for a couple of years, as Peter said, he was he was the best player, the best the best player probably of our generation in that league for two or three years. Him and Henri maybe. Just a cracking player, uh, had everything, has everything, still has it. And McManaman for me, uh, didn't, I think, what did he win with Liverpool? I think he won an FA Cup and a League Cup. Actually, he won a League Cup on his own against Bolton, I think. But um, I just loved watching him play, real old-fashioned dribbler, took all the pressure off. Lalana kind of reminds me of him, but he's not on the same level. Um, just kind of that shaggy, slow kind of running with the ball, but running at his own pace, but still gliding by full-backs without breaking a sweat, took the pressure off his defence, um, scored some big goals for Liverpool, scored some big goals and, and won some big things for AC, uh, for uh, Real Madrid. And uh, the partnership he had with Fowler, who's my favourite all-time player, I just uh, I loved watching him and I was sick when he went to Real Madrid. So they're my two. Right, so that leaves us with two for Maka, two for Ronaldo and two for Giggs. So we'll take all three and put one on the bench, yeah? Yeah. Perfect. Bigs on the bench. Excellent. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a tough one next week, I think. And finally, two prick of the week, and there's plenty of contenders this week. Uh, Peter, do you want to go first? All right. So I'm going to go for um, for somebody that I like in general, but I just thought it was a bit of a prick this week, and that's Gary Neville. Because after after the Arsenal game, and it's gone on for, for a long time now, it's like he has this omerta, this mafia-style silence about not criticising Wenger. He, la- he lashes into the players consistently and he blames the tactics, but he'll never actually say the words that will criticise Wenger. And I just think it's ri- ridiculous. It, I also almost felt insulted by the way he, he carried on at the weekend because if you're, you know, it's the manager that picks the team, that signed all the players, that's sending them out there with the tactics. So if you can criticise all them things, you surely have to criticise the manager as well. But he just will not do it. And, you know... As I said last week, when it comes to transfers, I don't think he brings a good perspective sometimes because of the career he had. And in this case, he only had one manager ever who was debatably the best manager ever. And Neville, in general, seems like the kind of bloke who probably doesn't need much motivation in life. He gets up and does things by himself. But a lot of players do need motivation. And Wenger's clearly massively failing at Arsenal. So I think it's ridiculous. And I found it almost insulting that he won't criticise him. What a prick. Uh, Danny, do you want to give us one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Laris Carius. Uh, it could be either the Liverpool goalkeeper, one for staying up too late, naughty boy. And um, Carius, who looks like he's, he, he's got a chance, Liverpool are cruising. I think he had more uh, more uh, more chances created for Arsenal than any Arsenal player, or probably all the Arsenal players combined. Three times the ball went back to him, three times he was closed down, and he was very lucky to not let Arsenal back into the game. Carius, stop spending all this time doing your baronet, you are a prick. Carl, what about you? Yeah, for me, this week can only be Watford's defender, Miguel Britos, for his tackle. Um against one of the Brighton guys and, and Anthony Knockhart. I mean, the guy takes him nearly at the waist height, stud showing, reckless tackle, mindless tackle. And the fact as well, when the ref shows him the red card, he has the cheek to stand up with his arms in the air as if to say, what ref? Me? Sending me off for that? And still was moaning about it going down the tunnel, left his team in a right silly position and what a prick. 
And uh, hard to beat that one, Scott. I think you'll have a go, though. Oh, I've got... I'll definitely have a go. Mine goes to Slavin Bilic this week um, because what he did with Declan Rice was criminal, in my opinion. The guy made one mistake at such a young age. The polymorph from uh, half-time, uh, I thought, was criminal. Could destroy his confidence. He did the same with Reese Oxford. I know a lot of West Ham fans are upset about this because there's a better choice to pick off. Um, and it just seemed very out of order. He's a hard-working player. He seems to be very popular. Uh, a lot of the pundits are picking him to be uh, very successful in the game. And if there's any blowback from um, him taking him off and sticking with players who didn't deserve to wear the shirt that day, uh, I'll be very disappointed. So for that reason, Slavin Bilic, you are a prick. Anyone got any particular favourites there? I think Miguel Britos probably deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, he's a prick. Let's give it to Britos. Britos, <laughs> you're a prick. Well done, sir. Well, well done. Yeah. Well, done. Yes, well and, played. Uh, well played, sir. Well played. Thank you, yeah. Kyle. And that pretty much takes us to the end of the show. Uh, thanks so much. Well, I was going actually. I was, sorry. Can I can I nominate uh, Chris Wood because I, I'm kind of worried for Carl's mental state at the moment. So that was kind of. I was going to nominate him for prick of the week. Lee Levy's doing that to me. <laughs> I think uh, don't need other players. I think you just need to go have a nice sit down, have a bath, maybe a cup of tea, whatever. Just calm down. We'll regroup next week, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, with a week off, we can regroup and you know, we can tackle the next week ones anyway. Uh, that's are we it. Be covering international football ne- next. Oh, because... we are in our fuck. Fuck that. No, we'll just. Uh, oh, look ahead to the next week. I don't want to have to watch that shit. <laughs> <laughs> fuck no, that. We'll no. just look ahead to next week uh, or the next round of Premier League games. Right, that's it. Thanks so much, guys, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thanks to Peter. All right, take it easy, boys. See you next week. Thank you, Carl. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Scott. Cheers, lads. Thank you. And thanks, Danny. Thanks, lads. See you next week. And thanks a lot. We'll see you again. Bye. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week for another episode of the PS Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, drop us a tweet at underscore PS underscore football or message us on Facebook. And please like, subscribe, rate and comment on iTunes as it really helps other people to find the show. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.